Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to have you with us here today. And I tell you what, I just came in from moving some pears around and looking at all the grasshoppers just eating all the fields here in central Montana. Oof, it is getting hot out there, so I'm happy to be back in the home office, enjoying some air conditioning, and excited for today's uh, conversation uh, about the livestock industry. You know, there's a lot of partners out in the countryside, uh, in town, and around the nation that help cattlemen and women stay productive and profitable in the livestock business, and uh, we're going to have a fun conversation here today with uh, uh, Ron Scott and also Zach Dombeck. They're joining us uh, here today. But before we jump into our conversation with Ron and Zach, I would just like to share these words from today's sponsor, Six F-35A fighter jets, one NFL team, a trip to the moon. They all have a billion-dollar price tag. Something else that costs $1 billion? Respiratory challenges in cattle each year. It's time to fight back against costly respiratory challenges. That's why Purina starter feeds are formulated with RX3 immune support technology. It boosts calves' natural defenses, priming their immune systems from the start. Talk to your Purina rep to learn more. Again, a big thank you to our friends at Purina for sponsoring the Cattleman's Call podcast. Now, as we come back to our conversation for today's podcast, as I mentioned, it takes a lot of partners to make the cattle business profitable, and animal nutrition and animal health play a key role in that. But I would just like to introduce two friends that are joining us on the podcast here today. They're joining us from Missouri and joining us is Dr. Ron Scott. He's the Director and Beef Technical Innovation Officer with Purina. And Zach Dombeck, DVM. He's the Manager of Veterinary Services at the Purina Animal Nutrition Center. Gentlemen, uh, ha- how are things going in your neck of the woods here today? Well, it's a great day for me in, in Missouri. This is uh, Ron Scott, so I'd like to say hello to everybody who's listening. Uh, it's such bizarre weather conditions uh, the past three days have been unseasonably cool getting down in the 60s at night so we're we're going to take that and we love it <laughs> <laughs> i don't blame you zach how about yourself how are things treating you here today yeah no like ron said it's uh it's unseasonably cool for us here in missouri um so so we're loving this weather the grass is growing um it's nice to see the cows out grazing uh, some nice fresh grass so uh pretty happy to be with you today and uh, can't wait to see how our discussion goes. Well, I uh, I bet the, the cows in your neck of the woods really are loving this cool weather. I know ours are really staking out the, the water tanks along the water line and trying to find shade wherever they can. So enjoy that nice cool weather down south up here in Montana. It's uh, close to 90 right now. So uh, we'll take that with our grasshopper plague, I guess. That's what we have to, that's what we've been dealt here this summer. But uh, uh, gentlemen, obviously, you have a very robust background in uh, animal nutrition and animal health. And, Ron, I'm going to start with you. Uh, could you, you just talk about uh, grow, how you wanted to stay here uh, in uh, the nutrition and animal health side of things? I, I do see on your resume you went to Oklahoma State University. Uh, how, how did you get your start in, in animal health and nutrition? And uh, uh, did you grow up on an operation? Uh, what, what did that look like? Yeah, you bet. So, 
Uh, I was raised in Indiana, and I'm probably one of the last of the generation who uh, was from a small family farm. Uh, so we had cattle and hogs, corn, beans, hay, etc. Uh, and so that's where I developed my love for livestock, uh, particularly cattle. Uh, but I was in livestock judging and all that good stuff. I went to a school, undergrad school at Purdue, med- majored in animal science. And after that, uh, packed up and went to Oklahoma State and uh, did a master's and a Ph.D. there, uh, focusing on cowherd nutrition and supplementation of uh, poor quality food. So, uh, you know, cattle has been a lifelong passion of mine. Uh, that's, I mean, I eat, sleep, and breathe and think cattle all the time. You know, people around me think I'm crazy, and that's okay, because <laughs> uh, this is my life, and I love it. Well, that I, I, I know all of our listeners eat, sleep, and, and breathe cattle as well. Uh, so I want to thank you for, for jumping on board with us here today. Uh, Zach, uh, for yourself, can we talk about uh, your background and, and what led you to becoming a veterinarian? Yes, yeah, so, so unlike Ron, I actually grew up in the city in St. Louis. I was fortunate enough to have some extended family um, that had a diversified farm fairly close to us over on the Illinois side of the river. Um, and got to spend a lot of summers with them and happened to be there when their veterinarian came around to work their cattle and, and was fortunate enough to have some great mentors along the way that uh, took me under their wing and, and taught me the ins and outs of uh, beef cattle and dairy cattle industries and um, was fortunate enough to, to work at both of those farms at uh, University of Missouri during undergrad where I majored in animal science. And then as I went on to veterinary school at uh, Missouri as well, I uh, just furthered my, my background in beef and brew cattle uh, animal health and spent three years out in private practice prior to coming to Purina. was actually doing some contract work at the research farm there in Grace Summit, Missouri, um, and Purina was fortunate enough to find me and, and bring me in, and now I get to work full-time at the 1,300-acre farm right outside of Grace Summit. Uh, fortunate enough to also have the direction of all those different animal units, beef cattle, dairy cattle, swine, horses, just about everything that we feed we have there at the research farm. So it gives me an opportunity to really still learn and practice every day and take care of all those different animals that we feed. You know, there, there are so many people out there that have made an impact on each and every one of our lives uh, through uh, being a mentor, a teacher, or, or just uh, being a good sounding board. Uh, Zach, for yourself, is there a mentor that sticks out in your mind uh, within your field that uh, really made a difference and, and led you into your career path? Yeah, I've just had so many, you know, from from high school days when I got to ride around in the truck with uh, people like Alan Miller and Liz Ballmer up through veterinary school, and I had some great uh, veterinary teachers there, Dusty Nagy, who's now at uh, Texas A&M, who was a great mentor and friend of mine, um, you know, even out now just colleagues and classmates of mine that I'm still able to, to call on and bounce ideas off of. And it's just a, a great tight-knit community, um, and it's a great profession to be part of. Ron, how about yourself? Uh, any mentors and people along the way that uh, help uh, help make your career successful and, and advice that helped you uh, make it to where you're at today? Oh, you bet. So um, in, in undergraduate, when I went to Purdue, which when you're when you come from a small community and go to a, a big school like Purdue, it's kind of an eye-opening, 
stressful experience like when you wean a calf. So you have to have some mentors. And the fraternity I was in provided some some peers who were mentors. Um, and then probably more importantly, some folks on the university staff, so Dr. Lemonager, Ron Lemonager, and he's still at Purdue. And when, when I went to Oklahoma State, I went there uh, because of Dr. Bob Kropp, uh had an assistantship for me at that time. Later, I, I worked under uh, Chuck, Dr. Chuck Hibbard, and Chuck was just a wonderful, wonderful professor and, and, and taught me a lot. And through all my interaction there with um, research and then uh, with all the kids who came up on the judging program, and I had a lot of contacts, uh, a lot of people I met at Oklahoma State, um, and just great people, and got to learn a lot about, about cattle production in different parts of the world, and that's and that's vital, you know, for, for trying to create new products and programs and understanding that. And then after I joined uh, Purina, had a lot of help uh, from from the folks who were already on staff. We had consultants in the in the field and technical and PhD folks. The list is, is numerous. But a few of them, Lee, Dr. Lee Shell was instrumental in helping me on the feedlot side. And in St. Louis, uh, Dr. Uh, Danny Williams, Lee Dickerson are, are, are some of them, but this goes on and on. So a lot of a lot of key influential people who, who you can talk to and say, hey, I don't understand this. Help me out. And and that's really important for, for education all, all through the through the chain. Ron, you mentioned you're in a fraternity. Which one was that at Purdue? Oh, it was Alpha Gamma Rho. Yeah, I heard about those guys. I, I, I was an AGR at Montana State University, the Alpha Delta chapter, when I did undergrad there. Oh. Yeah, I uh, I visited yep. the Purdue uh, 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 chapter house uh, a few years back. And I can't. I believe they have like a combine or a swather cab in their activity room that has like a DJ booth, if I if I can recall that right. I, I don't. <laughs> oh, a lot of great memories, but a lot of good connections uh, with with Alpha Gamma Rho. It's uh, great, especially at the uh, Cattle Industry Convention. Um, it usually falls right on top of our Montana Stock Growers reception, but I didn't make it to, uh, to the 2020 reception that AGR uh, hosts, but I've been there in the past. A really great opportunity to meet uh, alumni of AGR and, and current members that are probably interning there at the at the trade show during the Cattle Industry Convention. So, uh, hey, it's always great to, to, to see another AGR brother. So uh, there's a connection. <laughs> yep, there sure is. Well, gentlemen, I, I always think I, I thought it was very uh, interesting when Zach brought up your, your research facility, because a lot of folks, I mean, they, they, they go down to the co-op or the feed store and they, they get their pallet of feed or supplement or their mineral. And, and they, they might see that little uh, Purina logo up up in the corner of the packaging. But it, there's so much more than just a product. There's, there's the people like you, there's the research, there's the producers that are involved in that research. So I was really uh, surprised uh, uh, when you guys brought up that, that uh, facility down in Missouri. Could, can you talk about this and how, really, it's a boots-on-the-ground approach, all the research that takes place to make sure that we're optimizing all of our opportunities out here in the countryside? Yeah, you bet. So the Trina Animal Nutrition Center sits outside of, St. Louis in the Gray Summit area. Um, it was founded in 1926. We've got around 1,300 acres, uh, like Dr. Uh, Zach mentioned. And uh, what we're doing out there is we're trying to discover
discover, to develop, and then uh, capitalize for the industries of new and different ways to feed livestock and companion animals. And so many, many years ago, when the company was selling a lot of poultry and turkey feed, that's because we had more family farmers. Well, over time, that industry consolidated. Uh, so we don't do that type of research anymore in-house. We've got some outside contract facilities that we work with. But uh, the, the farm is dedicated to uh, dairy cattle, swine, beef cattle. We have some sheep and goats uh, and horses. And then we've got some uh, critters, big and small, around the farm, uh, depending upon what we're doing. Like we've got some deer uh, and things like that. Um, as you might guess, with Purina logo, we, we try to uh, make feed for everything that eats. Uh, so we have uh, a lot of feed that we sell to zoos and literally about every creature that walks. You can have something called earthworm chow, which I always thought interesting. Uh, but at, at our facility, uh, we're focused, at least on the beef cattle side, of trying to find something to help solve some of the problems that we have in the industry. And over the past 10, 15 years, there's been so much advancement uh, in, in the scientific community in the areas that in the past we had no understanding how we could even do research. We kind of knew what was going on, but we couldn't do anything. For example, uh, today we can extract DNA at the farm. We, yeah, and, and at our facility, uh, we have a, uh, some key scientists who are able to help us uh, in the areas of looking at the microbiome. I think I mentioned extracting uh, DNA, but we also um, have built on to an older facility we call the Large Animal Metabolism Unit, and we have some continuous fermenters in there and can do a lot more detailed work on uh, fermentation and rumen and sinus extent of digestion, and we call that facility the Center for Animal Metabolism and Microbiome. So it's pretty exciting stuff for us. Uh, the other thing I think that would be important for our, our cattle producers to know is that today the amount of data that is created is is a number that's uncomprehensible, right? So 25, 30 years ago, if, even if we created that much data, we couldn't have even done anything with it because it's too much. So the, the science of analyzing data, it's called big data and statistics and data collection and processing it, has allowed us to learn things in the scientific community. Uh, for example, like w when they mapped the human genome, and that took, I think, years to do, and that could be done in under a week today. And it's just amazing the advancements that have occurred uh, in science recently. No, I, I, I think all aspects of this are, are just so very interesting. And, and Zach, for, for yourself, working at this facility and having uh, your projects right there uh, with just a few steps away, what's it like on the veterinary side of this uh, to, to look at these projects, look at it in enhancements and advancements in, in science and research? Uh, uh, how great is it to work at that facility? Yeah, it's, it's a blessing every day to be able to go to work at, at such a tremendous facility. Like Ron stated, uh, some of the cutting-edge technology that we have, you know, is far beyond the reach of, of what I ever experienced while I was in private practice. Um, you know, just continually pushing the envelope to help producers, you know, develop the next feeds that are going to help uh, them be productive. 
the other great opportunity we have is uh, the opportunity to interact with lots of producers. Obviously, this year with uh, the COVID pandemic has thrown a wrench into to our events, but typically we're able to host multiple events at the, at the facility each summer uh, where we're able to bring in thousands of producers, uh, not only to showcase what we have, but also to provide some education in regards of animal health and nutrition and things that they can take back home to their operations and hopefully help make them more profitable and productive. Well, and you're speaking about that uh, interaction, having producers come, come down to your facility. It's probably an opportunity for them as well to interact with you and share some concerns or things that, that they have uh, issues or questions about. So probably that information sharing or uh, the advice or um, direction of uh, research that they want to see probably comes both ways. Am I correct in making that assumption? Absolutely. And I would say that, that the best part of the, the event for me is always the, the large group question and answer sessions uh, where we truly get to interact with these producers, um, you know, hear their questions and concerns about, uh, you know, the different aspects of the country, uh, what their what their environmental or feeding uh, issues or challenges can be, and how we can go back to the drawing board and work to develop products that are going to help them, again, be more profitable and productive. You know, you bring up profitability and being productive, you know, seeing that statistic, a billion dollars, that that's the cost that respiratory uh, issues cost the, the cattle industry every single year. It's hard, hard to wrap my mind around a hundred thousand or a million dollars. So throwing out a billion dollar uh, figure, that that is just absolutely huge. Uh, obviously, that is some of the research that t- takes place there, and then that goes into a, a product to, to help producers be profitable. Could you maybe walk us through how a product that helps improve the industry, how that gets a start, to, like a product like that, uh, RX3 immune support technology, how, how does that come about and then truly become a reality out in the countryside? So like you stated, Lane, uh, we know the dollar signs associated with respiratory disease. We also know uh, the pressing governmental concerns, uh, you know, obviously the implementation of the, the VFD a couple of years back and how we uh, have restrictions now on feeding antibiotics. Uh, we also know how limited some of these over-the-counter antibiotics can be, and, and not only that, but also uh, the different veterinary drugs and different resistance issues that we have. Um, and obviously there's no one magic or silver bullet when it comes to treating BRD and calves. Obviously prevention goes a lot further than treatment. Um, anytime we can keep those calves from getting sick, uh, we know that they're going to end up being more profitable. They're going to grow better. Um, they're just going to be healthier overall for us. So, uh, obviously, Purina saw that challenge, and um, I'll let Ron kind of explore more uh, how we got to the drawing board and ultimately got a product in the bag um, and out to producers to help combat that challenge. Thanks, Zach. So, so the one thing I'd like to start out with is that, you know, this this whole respiratory shipping fever complex like Zach said there's no there is no silver bullet for it and so we know over time in theory our education has improved our vaccinations programs and products should have improved our management practices should have improved and yet we really have not improved as an industry uh, a great deal and you scratch your head and say what's going on well, nobody knows. I mean, maybe maybe these uh, pathogens are mutating and all that kind of stuff. Nobody really knows. But we do know this, 
we're going to have to do something different. We're going to have to look at it. I hate to say the word holistically, but we need to look at it from the big picture of how can we help this calf to fight off disease on their own. And it all comes back to um, the entire herd management. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But I wanted I wanted to put that plug in there so that we we don't forget because it's it's there are a lot of pieces to this puzzle that we have to solve as an industry. So specifically for for what we looked at on RX three in in the human side, a lot of you probably have seen uh, there are there are DFMs that are available to people. So these are like bacillus organisms. Um, you can you can buy take a spoonful. Uh, there are things um, in yogurt. Uh, there are yeast products out, and a lot of things that, that help to provide a different uh, microbiome culture, if you will, to your. Some of those things are also used on in chickens and in, and in uh, pigs. I started with that on the gastric side, and then learned how to apply it to the ruminants. So the so the big thing that the ruminants have that make it different is the ruminants. And the rumen is a large fermentation vat. And so cattle eat feed, a calf eats a diet. The feed goes into the rumen, it ferments, and then some acids are absorbed for energy. And that's where the cattle get their inner, or their uh, protein requirement from, from those microbes that are in the uh, rumen. So we have to think about the rumen, too, and make sure that it's functioning properly. So when you put all that together, uh, we created a product called RX3, did a lot of research with it, some laboratory work, and then scaled up to feeding it to cattle. Uh, We were involved with a study, um, and we utilized uh, expertise of the USDA ARS at at Lubbock with Dr. Jeff Carroll and his team. Uh, and we were able to feed RX3 to calves or have the diet without it in there as a control. And uh, some pathogens were introduced to the calves, BHV1 um, and also Mannheimia hemolytica. And then we looked at blood parameters following uh, the introduction of those pathogens. And we saw how, how the calves with RX3 reacted to the pathogen to help better fight off what they could on their own by uh, eliciting a better response with their white blood cells. So that's our first response that we have with our with our body as our white blood blood cells and the same thing with cats. The drug or anything like that is just how do you do a better job of finding off these challenges uh, yourself without having to take a drug? So, so the other thing I point out is that this this type of research takes a lot of in, intensive work. Uh, for example, we, we've uh, collected more than 3,000 blood samples. Uh, so it takes a lot of intensive sampling, blood measurements, and then analyzing the blood for four white blood cells, inflammatory cytokines, things like that, to be able to understand how the body responds uh, when this RX3 is in the diet. And we've seen that it's helped to the job of optimizing uh, the health of the cats. And, and obviously, as we, we start to look at this from the nutrition side and the genetic side, 
uh, gentleman right now over where we're at, you know, we're a lot of folks are, are pulling bulls or, or getting ready to pull bulls out of their uh, uh, breeding pastures. Uh, and that's really when we really should be thinking about that next calf crops nutrition. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, this product that, that uh, is going to help on respiratory issues. But how, what can ranchers, cattle producers, uh, think about right now before the calf is even born uh, as we wrap up the, this, uh, this summer's breeding uh, cycle? You know, I'll, I'll take a stab at it first and let, let Zach uh, impart his wisdom. Uh, so the one thing we have to remember that uh, these cows are, I hate to say they're a factory because the general public, they, you know, that's a bad word. But, but literally, they, they are because they are producing at a high, high level. You know, cows are uh, either pregnant, pregnant and lactating, or lactating. And they should never be feeding just themselves. Right? They're either eating for two or eating for three. Right? So they got themselves, they got a calf on the inside, and one on the ground. And we forget that about as an industry. These cows have high nutrient requirements. And the reason why I mention this is that during gestation, the critical period of gestation is every day. And the reason why I say that is that every trimester is important for the development of that fetus. And the reason why that's important is that if there are times of high stress, uh, poor nutrition, it will influence that calf negatively after they hit the ground and what kind of an adult they become. And that's called fetal programming. There's a lot, a lot of data on it in humans and getting more and more data on it on uh, cattle. A lot lot of our listeners have probably heard about it, uh, but I can guarantee you 10 years ago, nobody did. Uh, So it's something that's still um, not top of mind for our industry, but it needs to be. And the reason why is this. Uh, with the immune system, uh, we all know about colostrum. So a calf hits the ground, it gets colostrum, you get the immunoglobulins in the colostrum. That, that's called passive immunity. There's uh, two other types of immunity. Uh, so the other one is innate immunity, and it starts forming that first trimester during gestation. Right. So you're influencing the immunity of the calf all through gestation, but primarily that first trimester, if you mess it up, then we got problems. Then after that calf hits the ground, then you have adaptive immunity that takes over, which is the vaccinations and how they respond to the vaccination program, all that good stuff that Zach can 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 talk about. But I think that's one thing that our, our industry needs to have top of mind and something we didn't always do. You know, the when I was growing up in the industry, it seemed like we were trying to starve profits out of cows. Well, today we know we need to invest in cows because it, under a good, sound nutritional program um, with less stress, we can get some crazy good performance on conception rates and winning weights. Zach, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So like Ron said, um, you know, the importance of the fact that these cows are working for us 365 days a year. Um you know, and we prefer the term all seasons nutrition, right? Because every season there are different nutritional needs for that cow um, and potentially that calf that's either inside or on the ground or both. Um, so just meeting all those different needs, obviously the different 
uh, vitamin and mineral needs of those cows, so especially during the summer months when, uh, you know, forage isn't at its best, like you stated out there, it's starting to kind of get dry and dusty and, and droughty, and so obviously there's there's not a whole lot in in that forage as far as grocery-wise and, and other nutrients that they could need. So obviously supplementing them uh, definitely when they need them, whether it's just mineral or uh, fat and protein as well to keep them in good condition. Um, obviously, like Ryan stated too, uh, we can't can't starve these cows and, and expect them to be profitable for us. Um, you know, we, we ask a lot of them. We want them to, to breed back and be raising a, a solid calf for us at the same time. So, you know, providing them with the right nutrients at the right time to, to help them succeed is, is definitely going to be critical for, for everyone involved. So when those calves hit the ground, obviously keeping that mama's uh, nutrition in mind and looking at that uh, live calf, what are some things that folks uh, should continue to do? Maybe uh, they should learn more about, or maybe what are some uh, 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 trends you see in the countryside you would like to see improved upon uh, during calving season? Yeah, so from an animal health side, I would – I would go back to our, our talk about BRD and how prevention and, and preventing any disease, whether it's scours, respiratory disease, et cetera, obviously we can prevent those diseases a whole lot better than we can uh, as far as treat them. You know, especially if you're calving early in the spring when it, when it can still be pretty cold outside, there's not a, those calves aren't born with a lot of reserves. So uh, in times of illness, they're going to start to utilize any fat that they have um, as an energy source for their immune system to help fight off any kind of infection. Um, so if we can prevent them from getting sick, obviously they're going to continue to grow for us and not uh, use up their reserves to fight off any infection. But, um, you know, just different things, whether it's our calving systems, if we think about the Sand Hills calving system where we uh, move those those cows that haven't calved out of uh, certain pastures after about two weeks or so and continue to do that, uh, decreases some of the parasite loads or pathogen loads for those calves that are already on the ground and the calves that are still to come. Uh, and then we look at different vaccinations that we can do at the time of calving or shortly thereafter. And, you know, ultimately working with your local veterinary to help develop those uh, protocols and plans are always going to be best. And, and getting that accomplished well before calving season is always more helpful than, than waiting till you're in the midst of a disaster, right? So, uh, you know, definitely checking all your boxes long before calving season. Um, and knowing that you got all your ducks in a row and, and you're ready for those calves to start hitting the ground is definitely going to be less stressful for you and, and ultimately should result in some healthier, better calves for you as well. Ron, uh, do you want to add anything on that aspect of it with calving? Yeah, just, just one quick thing, and that it's, it's prior to calving that I want to just quickly visit about. Uh, I mentioned colostrum earlier. So I think what what our cattlemen need to know is that colostrum uh, is developing about a month to two months prior to calving, and for many years a lot of a lot of producers felt that the last trimester when the calf is is growing the most, they might want to short that cow on some groceries so her calf doesn't get too big. And I'm here to tell you that's directionally the wrong thing to do because that's when we need to be providing good nutrition to the cows so they will produce good quality colostrum enough quantity of colostrum because they're in a good body condition so that when that calf hits the ground they start suckling and, and get that colostrum that they need uh, and i would not be worrying about the uh, birth weight of the calves 
I think those days are over. You know, uh, we've got so many bulls today that have, have been bred for um, shorter gestation periods on those calves. So I think in general, we need to think about ensuring that if we want to get our calves off to a good start, then that uh, last trimester nutrition is very critical. And that's true no matter what season that calf might be born in. So when we talk about uh, when we're looking at uh, calving season and, and really when, when we look at these video auctions the last few years, uh, calves that are, are program cattle and that are weaned are, are really bringing a, a, a very good premium uh, on the video livestock markets. So obviously there's a few months in between uh, calving and weaning. What, what are some things pe- uh, people uh, uh, should continue to do, should consider doing uh, when we're looking at the summer and again we're looking at a spring calving regimen with this conversation uh, during the the summer months out on pasture and uh, what are some tips for folks that uh, do wean or or, or should consider weaning to make it a little more profitable on on both the nutrition and the the health side kind of two different time periods thrown together but uh, uh, what are your gentlemen's thoughts on that yeah I'll uh, take a stab at that one um, so since I've been around a while, um, I saw the uh, advent of the, the VAC 45 program uh, when it came in, in vogue. You know, many years ago, unfortunately still today, a lot of calves are, are weaned on diesel fumes, which means they're, uh, they're gathered up and sold that day. So the VAC 45 program helped to prove that if you've been preconditioned calves, getting vaccinated, getting turned around, teach them how to eat, that they're, they're literally will just perform better at the feed yard, and hopefully they'll bring a premium. And over time, that is that is true. So the other things that 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 play into that is, well, what do you do before those calves are weaned? So the uh, mineral program is critical. So, so some people don't feed mineral in the summertime; they only feed it in the wintertime. Uh, some. Some may think that mineral means salt or a mineralized salt block, but there's not enough uh, copper, zinc, et cetera, in, in those products. So I would challenge every every producer to uh, to get with whoever they're getting their uh, nutritional advice from to ensure that they've got the right product out there. Keep it out every day. When it's empty, refill it. These cows need mineral every day because the forage ain't going to do it. Um, and, and that's true. We have to remember that the cows are producing a lot more than they used to and their requirements are higher. Uh, so we need to meet those requirements, but that having that mineral, uh, out for the cow, uh, is going to help her for not only that next generation, but that calf that hit the ground, he's going to be eating some mineral too. And that's going to help them at the weaning time to respond to the vaccination program because those trace minerals and also macro minerals are just very important uh, for that immune response. And, and we have some information on that. And there's some university data, too, and, and some other companies. So I think that's a key thing. Keep mineral in front of your cows. Make sure it's the right mineral. Make sure they're eating the mineral. And when it's empty, refill it. Um, and I've been out to a lot of locations and come up to a mineral feeder and it's empty. And we just need to do a better job in the industry at that. Zach, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on uh, in between and during weaning of calves? Yeah, so ultimately, if we can get uh, get some vaccines 
vaccinations into those calves uh, prior to weaning, obviously we're going to circle back to that prevention thought. And if we can prevent those diseases, obviously it's a very stressful time regardless of how we uh, go about weaning those calves. Obviously some methods are a little less stressful than others, whether it's fence line or things like that. Um, but if we can help to prevent some of those diseases, um, ultimately if we can pick a good time when it's not dry and dusty and, and things like that where we're going to have some more challenges to that respiratory tract, that can always help us as well. But also, on the other hand, we don't want those freshly weaned calves standing around um, hot, deep, and mud either because we know how much energy it takes for them uh, to walk around that pen then and get to feed and water um, and potentially the heather ring. So, um, so trying to trying to balance out all those environmental conditions can always be challenging. But, um, you know, if we can control the things we can, which has helped to prevent some of those diseases, uh, that's always going to be key. And so if we can get at least one round of those calves three weeks before weaning and then another round at weaning, um, at least then we've kind of primed that immune system to take on any of those challenges. Um, obviously, we've got some newer vaccines, too, like some of the intranasal vaccines, uh, which help provide a little bit uh, more immediate um, prevention to some of these uh, respiratory challenges, uh, while some of those injectable vaccines kind of catch up and, and mount those immune responses. So those are some other things, again, kind of working with your, your local herd veterinarian and discussing what's uh, your best plan uh, can help kind of get your calves off to the right foot. So, guys, I, I know our friends that are tuning in, there's going to be a, a few folks that are thinking, oh, my gosh, they're, they're just trying to shove a product down my throat. You know, it's a tough time uh, for the cattle industry. Prices aren't that great. But uh, uh, I want to give you a chance to, to defend the importance of nutrition. And uh, could you share some examples like a dollar comparison when we're looking at uh, calf health before a uh, calving season all the way up to weaning? Do you have any examples uh, from your research down there in Missouri to research out across the nation with with clients and Purina reps? Uh, uh, what, what are your what, what's your message on that front? Yeah, so uh, this is an easy answer for me because I'm I'm a nutritionist and I can always say, it depends. Um, but the big thing that it depends upon, particularly at weaning, uh, is this. We know, and there's a, there's data in a lot of different locations on this, that it's so critical to get those calves started to eat. Uh, they need to have something that is palatable, which means they, they don't want to refuse it. You don't want the calves to walk up, sniff, and walk away, uh, and and that's just a sign of poor quality feed, whether that's hay or something that's that's milled or purchased. So the investment uh, in a quality product at weaning, um, many many producers would say, yeah, that that does make sense. So what we're trying to do is to get that calf over the stress and the hump of missing its mama, uh, having to you know commingle up, learn to. Uh, drink from some different source that tastes funny, uh, you know, in a trough or something like that. And all, all kinds of stress with weather, like Zach mentioned, with some pin conditions. So, so the key thing that, that we know to be true, the, the, biggest, the biggest factor and thing that you can mess up with on your calves is not to provide them adequate nutrition during the weaning phase. So the, uh, the other part of that is... Uh, macro nutrition which is protein and energy so that's why cattle gain weight because of protein and energy 
so it needs to be balanced and have the right balance of those, uh, the right amount of roughage. Uh, some people don't want their calves to, to gain a lot during the weaning phase. But I'm here to tell you that in you know 21 days, your calf is not going to get fat. So I'm not concerned about that. Now, 40 years ago, when we had little small small frame calves, that might have been a concern. Those days are over. These calves are not going to get fat at weaning, and they are very, very efficient at that time. So it's not only the most cost-effective time for a calf to gain weight, but also the most critical time because that's when they're trying to to, uh, respond to their vaccination program and fight off uh, whatever pathogens might be there to help stimulate their immune system. The other thing to think about is there are different opportunities to look at these calves. So you can retain those after you background them if you have the, the resources, the land and fences and, and labor, or you can sell them for you know premium or profit like we, we talked before. But getting those calves set up right to go on to the next level is all positive, and there's a lot of information on, on different feeding programs and how, how they benefit that calf. Um, many, many years ago, um, a lot of people were tr- looking and trying to get the, the value and the gift of compensatory gain. Well, comp- compensatory gain is real, but it's not predictable. And those calves that are mismanaged, yeah, you might get them cheaper. Uh, but in some cases, they will never perform simply because they have been stunted, if you will, and they can't overcome that. There's a lot of value in keeping calves on a good plane of nutrition their entire lives. And so I think that's one of the big key learnings that our industry has had since the VAC 45 programs were launched uh, about 20 years ago, that, you know, that these cattle will perform, uh, but feed is an investment. And if you don't invest enough, then it actually can be a liability. Zach, from from your aspect and work as a veterinarian, uh, any thoughts on that or anything else that you would like to just add to this conversation to help folks out in the countryside? Yeah, I think kind of back to one of our initial thoughts, you know, about, you know, starving, starving profitability, you know, out of cattle or, or even cattle, however you want to look at it. Um, you know, I, I think we can all, t- all attest to uh, the difference between healthy calves and those that are are definitely nutritionally challenged, right? I mean, we can we can definitely all all discuss those treatments we've had when we've had calves that just you know weren't on a good plane of nutrition and and don't respond to their their vaccinations as well, or or even uh, you know antibiotic treatments when we when we do have some issues. So um, obviously, it takes a lot of energy for that animal to mount an immune response. So uh, they're not going to do it on on dirt and rocks. So they got to be able to have some protein. Um, and have some fat in their diet. And again, uh, like Ron stated, it's got to be something palatable. Just because we're dumping something into the bunk that's, you know, 20% protein or something like that, um, if they don't eat it, it's still not worth anything to them. So it's got to be something that they want to eat um, and, and come up and consume every day so that, uh, that we do have them on a good plane of nutrition um, and ultimately, you know, hopefully have some healthy calves, uh, whichever direction we're going to go with them, whether we're going to retain some heifers, uh, back in the breeding herd or, or sell those calves off as, as feeders um, to the next facet. Uh, they've just got to be, be healthy and, and well-doing to, uh, to get those top dollars in the markets. Well, gentlemen, obviously we've covered quite a lot in the 
life cycle of a calf from conception all the way to uh, weaning in our conversation today. And and I truly uh, loved learning more about uh, the research that takes place at your facility down in Missouri. And I know you probably have a lot on your plate still here to get uh, wrapped up today. But is there any last bits of advice, any uh, suggestions you have for our cattlemen and women out there that are looking at just marketing their calves at this point of the summer or getting ready for uh, weaning and shipping this fall. Just any last thoughts that you would just like to share with our friends listening today? Yeah, this is Ron. I'd just like to uh, uh, maybe close with this. I I think that, you know, our cattle today obviously have uh, an unbelievable genetic potential that, that we've never seen before and just continues to get better. Um, these calves are, are bred uh, so that they will uh, perform and perform at the feedlot. You know, the, the percent choice and uh, cattle that, that certify with a premium choice and higher, those numbers have dramatically grown the past 10 years. And, you know, our producers can take advantage of that if they retain ownership, um, if, if they so choose. But the one thing I, I would recommend for everyone is, is to think about this. I mentioned earlier there's a lot of technology that's, that's become available in the past 10 years. And I'd highly recommend everybody to get with their, uh, whoever their, their nutritionist is, their feed supplier, uh, look at websites, and try to get information that you think fits for your, your operation. You know, some things you may not be able to, to implement because of management, because of whatever reason that might be. Um, but I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity out there, particularly in, in things with uh, health uh, that we talked earlier with some additives that we can put in the, in the diet to help calves do a better job of uh, putting up a better fight. So I, I, I'd highly recommend everybody to try to do as much reading as they can and, and ask questions because I think this is rare times for us. Zach, any last thoughts? Yeah, I would just, just echo Ron's thoughts there that, you know, as producers, we have to keep uh, keep learning and evolving. Obviously, uh, things in the market are going to continue to change due to uh, customer demand, and we've got to be able to step up and meet those some of those demands. Uh, so just being able to be flexible and continue to learn and evolve is going to be something very critical uh, you know, to the cattle industry. Well, again, a big thank you to Ron Scott and Zach Dombeck for joining us here today talking about nutrition and animal health. And uh, I, I truly did uh, enjoy learning more about how I can make a difference on my operation and think about things just a little bit differently. Uh, and again, there's uh, uh, folks out across the countryside, across the nation that uh, can help you look at these opportunities and, and help you raise a more profitable calf and have have a healthy mama cow out in the countryside. Uh, you can learn more and find a rep near you uh, at, by visiting PerinaMills.com as well. But uh, gentlemen, I, I just want to thank you for joining the Cattleman's Call podcast today. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Very welcome, Lane. Thanks for having us today, Lane. Greatly appreciate it. 
All right, friends. Again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Make sure and subscribe and send in your suggestions for shows that you would like to hear or topics you'd like to learn more about. You can visit us. Just visit ncba.org backslash Cattleman's Call, and you can send an email with tips and suggestions or questions. And I look forward to joining you on our next conversation here on the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.